Hello, and welcome to The Right Question, a radio program and podcast featuring authors from the American West and beyond. The Right Question is supported by Humanities Montana, the Greater Montana Foundation, and a cooperative of independent bookstores around the state, Fact and Fiction here in Missoula, Chapter One Bookstore in Hamilton, Elk River Books in Livingston, and Montana Book Company in Helena. And we've always been supported by listeners just like those of you listening right now. I'm Lauren Korn. This is a special live fall pledge episode of The Right Question with comedian Charlotte McCorn, who is sitting right next to me here in Studio A. Charlotte McCorn, who also goes by Charlie, received a bachelor's degree in history and an MFA in media arts from the University of Montana. Her passion for teaching has led her to instruct university classes on media literacy and screenwriting, as well as computer literacy classes to seniors and storytelling and filmmaking workshops to students of all ages. Charlotte is an award-winning stand-up comedian, and most importantly, she's a mercurial icon and the voice of your generation. I should also mention that Charlotte is from Deer Lodge, Montana. A shout out to KUMD in Deer Lodge. Charlotte, thank you for putting up with that very long introduction. Thanks so much for being here during our fundraiser. Welcome to The Right Question. I am so glad to be here. Thanks so much for having me, Lauren. Good to see you again, my old friend. Yes, yes, yes. Um, for the sake of transparency, listeners, um, so that you might better understand the dynamic at play here, I should mention that uh, Charlotte and I met when we were both getting our under uh, undergraduate degrees at the University of Montana in an undergraduate nonfiction writing workshop. This is the most embarrassing case of nepotism I have ever Ever heard of this is <laughs> this is awful this is looks bad for me but looks good for you I think for it you. looks bad for me it looks great for you well you're, you're more of a public figure you're looking great right now Charlie oh thank you uh, and you are still writing is that correct that is correct I am still a writer of the American West apparently which I don't think the American West is very happy to have me but yes I continue to write in various formats that is not true we are so happy to have you. We want to give the phone numbers and oh, you can pledge absolutely. your support right now. And, and the right question, we've got a new angle coming up after this. As we continue our final evening of our fall campaign here, folks. Join us right now. We're counting down every pledge towards a $5,000 bonus. It's 406-243-6400, 406-243-6400-mtpr.org. Thank you. And we here at The Right Question, we've always been supported supported by listeners just like those of you, like I said at the top, listening right now. My team and I could not do what we do um, without the support of our community partners and our listeners. Um, I know MTPR is overflowing with book lovers uh, and, and, and book-loving listeners, so I'd love to hear from all of you bookworms out there tonight. Um, Charlie, I do want to talk about your writing. This is the right question, so let's talk about your writing. You do a number I, I, you work in many genres, I suppose I should say. I do. Uh, I have a weekly column in the Missoulian here in Missoula. I write comic books. Uh, I do zines. Um, I write fiction. I write essays. I'm probably best known as a comedian, and that is absolutely writing. That is absolutely a process of like putting pen to paper, revising, hating yourself, hating your life, hating everyone around you. <laughs> Traditional like writing kind of uh, skills. What's the difference then between writing for the stage and writing, say, a nonfiction essay or some of your fiction work? I would say for the stage, you're editing live in front of an audience. Like very rarely are you doing an essay and then knowing that, oh, this is going bad. I need to change this halfway through. 
I mean, you do that in the writing process, but you're alone at you ha- that point. And you have much more time to do that. Yeah. You instead have a room full of angry, drunk people who do not like a single thing that you are saying. <laughs> and you're like, all right, I got to win these people over. I got to abandon this and try something else. Do you have readers for your comedy before you hit the stage? Or is that just, is the stage your readership? The stage is my readership. There are great resources available uh, across Montana um, workshops for people that want to try their hand at comedy. Um, Revival Comedy here in Missoula does a, a monthly uh, workshop where they help people, um, specifically women and uh, non-binary people, you know, get started in comedy because there are, you know, even today still a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of gatekeeping going on, but there a are resources. white men in comedy still? Oh, sure. No matter how many of them we try to get rid of, <laughs> no matter how many of them embarrass themselves, mm-hmm. uh, they keep coming back, they keep taking over. And so giving the option for, you know, everyone to have a voice, I think that's fantastic. But I... I just do it at open mics. I just take my ideas. I'm like, I think this is funny. And I hope a room full of strangers who are half paying attention will feel the same way about it. If something doesn't go over well when you're on stage, how then do you go back to the drawing board or the writing page? Do you try to rework the joke or do you just say, no, I'm not interested in keeping that one in the in the show at all? I think a big part of it comes down to trying to like transcribe what I think is funny. Because a lot of times if people aren't laughing, it's because they don't necessarily, it's not that they don't understand the joke, they don't understand the premise. So how can I make this more accessible and take this funny idea and package it in a way that's more acceptable to to larger audiences? You mentioned that you have a Missoulian column. Tell me a little bit about that. That's right. Uh, I write at the Roxy uh, every Thursday in the Entertainer. It's called at the Roxy? At the Roxy, which is a preview of movies opening uh, here in the city of Many Shoulders. And um, much like I was doing for the Missoula Independent, they let me do whatever I want. Uh-huh. So I did, uh, we're showing uh, The Shining is one of the movies I wrote a blurb about. I actually read this uh, in the paper and yes. you wrote it like, uh, I mean, spoiler alert listeners, if you have yet to see The Shining, I can't imagine there are so many of you out there, but their murder spelled backwards is Red Rum. That's so much a part of the movie. And you wrote this review backwards. The entire thing, uh, except for the word <laughs> Red, Red rum, rum. It which was showed murder. up as murder. So yeah. I did the whole thing backwards, which talking to um, uh, Corey, the arts editor at the Missouli, and he's like, I'm going to just check with this. And I had uh, universal uh, editorial approval on it, which, uh, you know, credit to them for letting my, my typograph- uh, typographological humor uh, play Typographological through. humor. Yeah. That's Charlotte a, McCorn, everybody. Yeah. Put it on a bumper sticker. <laughs> Give it to one of your wonderful donors. Okay, so you're a stage comic. Yes. You write a article for the Missoulian about movies coming out. Yes. And they're, they are, listeners, so hilarious. Just, you know, pick up the Missoulian solely for that reason. You also are a comic book writer. That's right. Uh, comic books have long been a passion of mine, and I kind of stumbled into it uh, back actually when we were undergraduates. Yeah. Uh, working for the press, um, the now defunct Tragically Press, Super Dames Comics, which promotes um, women in the sciences through comic books. Um, I wrote for Jill Trent Science Sleuth, which was one of my favorite things. And uh, following that, I've done a string of comic books, um, including my my zine, Missoula Famous. And uh, presently, I'm writing the feature Linda Linda, Unlicensed Detective, <laughs> uh, which is appearing in comics printed by Oneshi Press. That's incredible. Let's let's take a couple spe- ste- steps backward. Pardon. Uh, you wrote for Jill Trent, 
what does that mean? Was that an already established comic that you kind of stepped into the role as author then? That's it? exactly what happened. Jill Trent is uh, one of the oldest um, female superheroes. Um, and she's in the public domain because no one quite knew what to do with her. And her thing is, it's a really great origin. She's like, well, because it's the 1940s she was created. She's like, oh, well, you're okay. a girl. You can't solve crimes. The police don't want you. Get out of here. And she's like, well, yeah, me and my best friend Daisy, my very, very, very good best friend Daisy, are going <laughs> to use science to capture these crooks. And uh, Super Dame said this really wonderful thing with the book where every creative team, so it was, you know, doing small, you know, anthology-like stories. Sure. Every single one of them uh, would be by a different crew that would imagine Jill and her partner Daisy in, in different settings with different, you know, contemporary future, the past. So it all sort of shakes up all over the place, which was a lot of fun to sort of play in and be able to, you know, work on that character um, with editor D.M. Higgins. I need to shout them out. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Um, did you find, were you already a fan of Jill, Jill Trent and then you sought out that writing gig or did someone seek you out and say, Charlotte McCorn, uh, she's got, she's got the voice we need. Oh, it is the voice of your generation, as you so you, delightfully said. You are the voice of our? See, people say pronouns are confusing and this is the one case where they are. <laughs> this is the one case. Our uh, generation. It was, um, they had an open call that they were hiring people to write for this new book. Um, yeah. And I was at that point where I was like, you know what? I want to be a comic book writer. I have an idea. I'm going to pitch this idea about giant hamsters attacking the University of Montana. And and yeah, they were like, we love it. It's great. I did three stories for uh, for Jill Trent, uh, including a science loose of history where I wrote a short uh, comic biography of a famous woman from STEM. And it is my, uh, it is really my pleasure. And I've had opportunities to go on and do that. I also briefly wrote this series called Strike Force Dracula, which is about <laughs> um, this alien invasion where the aliens are coming and kidnapping all the humans, which is unacceptable because if all the humans are gone, the vampires will starve to death. So it's a squad of vampires uh, striking <laughs> deep in alien controlled territory, defending their planet, defending their food supply. This is the story of Strike Force Dracula. Your range is vast, Charlotte. Thank you. I think so, too. Yeah. Okay. So you've written for comic books. Again, I'll say it again, the stage. Um, let's talk a little bit about the zine that you mentioned, Missoula Famous. What a incredible title. Tell me a little bit about that. I've always kind of been aware that, you know, living here in this, you know, wonderful madcap circus that is Missoula. Yeah. Is that there are people who, for whatever reason, kind of exemplify the weirdness of Missoula. And it's something that I don't necessarily like claim myself, but I have seen like right now, like you get to do these things if you are Missoula famous. And so I wrote this zine, which is sort of a pseudo biography, pseudo memoir um, of, of my life. But instead of being a, a stand up comedian, I'm in a terrible punk band. <laughs> which is like not so far from the person I know you to be, actually. And you used to be a bit punk. I'd say I'm still pretty punk You rock. are still pretty punk I'm Rob. pretty punk yeah. rock. My yeah. hand just does this naturally. I'm throwing up the horns, listener. I'm sorry yeah. you can't see that, but I'm throwing <laughs> up the horns. My hand just does this naturally. Um, and you did the the illustrations for the scene, right? I for, did. You, it, was, it was solely you, right? Written and illustrated by you. Yeah, I was inspired by uh, Linda Berry, um, who's a really fantastic cartoonist and professor. Um, and her book, um, whose name is escaping me right now, Syllabus, really inspired me. It's the idea that, you know, every kid growing up loves to draw and that at a certain point they stop because they think they're bad at it. When really we shouldn't be teaching these kids good or bad. It's about expressing yourself, developing your voice. And the way we draw, the way we cartoon is as identifiable to us as our signature is. And so I use uh, the zines as an example or as a 
challenge to teach myself to draw. Are you still creating Missoula Famous Scenes? Uh, I am. I'm working on the third one right now. Uh, I'm very excited. Um, it's a tribute to the Missoula Independent. Now defunct, now Missoula defunct, Independent, yeah. Uh, where, I, where I worked uh, after my undergraduate mm -hmm. and sort of, you know, what Missoula really lost when we lost that newspaper. Mm -hmm. And so it's sort of about about that, but also it's the same characters sort of. And it's, you know, based on what happened to me, like when I first started out comedy, I ended up, you know, on the cover of the indie, like for my comedy. And it was just like this weird thing where I felt like I was creating something new and, and they were recognizing me. We're... And I say we, we here at Montana Public Radio. I'm across the, the glass from Michael Marsalek. I'm Lauren Korn. I'm speaking with Charlotte McCorn uh, about their writing, their comedy, their illustrations. You are listening to a live pledge episode of The Right Question. Uh, as I've been saying, The Right Question has always been supported by listeners just like you. You're in my introduction to every show. I so appreciate your support. And I want to hear from you tonight. We're in the middle of our fall pledge drive. Now is the time to tell me what I am doing right. <laughs> W-R-I-T-E. What I might have, what, what I could be doing better. 406-243-6400 is the phone number to call. We have a number of volunteers waiting at the phone. You can always go online too at mtpr.org. You know, we've, we're only 19 pledges away from a $5,000 bonus as well. 19 more to go. Oh, we haven't been mentioning this bonus. Tell yes. us about this, well, Michael. Well, we've got a $5,000 bonus. We, we The number was 75 pledges this evening. We're down to 19 to go. Okay. And we get a $5,000 bonus. So don't delay. This is a perfect opportunity to make a quick call. Pledge your support to Montana Public Radio, 406-243-6400, mtpr.org. Charlotte. Are you a public radio listener? Uh, I am. I do enjoy listening to The Right Question, not just because my friend is the host <laughs> of it, but I do understand the importance of having public radio and having access to voices that reflect our community and are able to really take complex ideas and address them in the way they need to and not just roll them over the way that so much mainstream media does. We can pause for a little celebrating here, oh, too. Oh, yes. Let's celebrate. Let's ce what are we celebrating? It's three times. We can celebrate $174,000. And $175,000. And one more, $176,000. And just 19 more pledges to go, and we will get a $5,000 bonus. Please join us right now in this special live, the right question that's happening. We've got special programming all evening long here on Montana Public Radio. Uh, join us now and help us get closer and closer to that $5,000 bonus. Your support brings programming like this. Half of the content on Montana Public Radio is produced in Montana. It is. Half. Half. It's pretty unheard of in the public radio system. Um, and half is news and public affairs and children's programming. Mm -hmm. And half is music. Also somewhat rare in the world of public broadcasting. We're honored to bring this eclectic service to you and have programs like The Right Question and A New Angle, which will come up after this, uh, to have these kind of programs on the air. So thank you for your support, and uh, we'll be back to our uh, live conversation here in just a second. So make that call now, 406-243-6400-mtpr.org. Yeah, and I'm so privileged. I hope, listeners, you know how... Lucky I feel and privileged I am um, to be in the position of the host, being the host of The Right Question. I love coming to work every day. And I think that that's kind of um, 
I, I don't know if it's rare in the world. It is. Is it? It absolutely <laughs> is. No one likes having a job but Lauren, apparently. I mean, I, that's the thing, though, listeners. Uh, Montana Public Radio hosts, staff, engineers, everyone across our our, um, our our family, we love coming to work for you. We are coming to work for you every day, whether it's news, whether it's music programming, whether I am reading books and talking to authors on air, we're doing it all for you. mtpr.org is the website. 406-243-6400 is the phone number. Okay. Um, you know, Charlotte, you were just witness to celebrations that I didn't actually prepare you for. I was so. really surprised when the closet door opened and all those clowns came out. Like, I didn't know, like, are those clowns on, on like, payroll here? Or do we do we rent them? Like, or, I mean, did they come from the University of Montana? Do we have a clown program I'm, I'm not aware of? Are those interns that you put in clown makeup? Our new interns. By the way, this is what you're doing. Yeah, those are volunteers. No, um, so when we are up for a challenge, when we're going for a challenge here during our fall pledge drive, um, we usually are trying to hit a certain amount, right? Oh, sure. And then once we hit that amount, uh, we get to celebrate. We and ring then... the bell to scare away the vampires? Yes. <laughs> Second vampire reference from you tonight, Charlotte. No, not the last one. It won't either. be the last. It won't be the last. You know, I want to continue talking about your writing because, of course, this is a show about literature and books. You mentioned that you're a fiction writer. That is, that is correct. I post graduate school, I've been working on a lot of um, my fiction. I've got some short fiction coming out and some anthologies that are edited by some really fantastic uh, Montana authors. You want to give you want to give that a shout out? Yeah, I'll give a shout Let's out to uh, the Territories Volume Two, edited uh, by J uh, Chad Dundest and uh, Jonathan Snowden. Um, Chad Dundest, of course, needs no introduction from me. This is this is public radio. Everyone knows Chad Dundest. Absolutely. And it is a series of uh, anthologies where it's a shared universe of fiction about professional wrestling in the 1980s. And your particular uh, story, Athena Alberton's first real match? Yep, that'll be in uh, the Territories Volume 2, which will be out soon. So I've been told it'll be out soon. It'll be out soon. Okay, we can look for it sometime, somewhere, yeah. right? <clears throat> um, this is about wrestling. I want to talk about wrestling, Charlie, but before we jump into wrestling, because I think it's a it's a ripe topic, especially for our listeners, I think they're really yeah, going to enjoy Yeah, let's make sure we get those 19 extra pledges before we do all the wrestling talk and scare everybody away. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I, I, wrestling is fascinating. But I do want to talk to you about how you went from uh, being an undergraduate, taking you know writing workshops to coming to the stage. I'm wondering what that trajectory trajectory was. It's the weirdest thing. It's it's the most embarrassing just series of just bumbling and stumbling my way to success. That's what we all do, right? Uh, I started as a horror hostess. I was at a point in my life uh, where I had hit rock bottom. I had burned every bridge around me. And I'm mm -hmm. like, well, if I've ruined my life, let's really ruin it. That's when I first you know, came out as trans. Uh, and I created this character um, that was a horror hostess, and she was showing public domain horror films um, on her YouTube channel that nobody watched. <laughs> and through these series of events, I was able to meet some fantastic local uh, arts um, and comedians people. Um, John Howard, um, who's the, the godfather of Missoula comedy, and I, uh, we met occasionally. He's like, well, you know a lot about movies. You should come audition for this thing. And we'll see this open mic. You're really funny. You should do it. It's like, yeah, I'm going to go do stand-up as a way to promote my horror hostess show. And suddenly that became the thing that I was just succeeding at. It was just like this thing where I'm like, I am, I am good at this. Like, I'm having fun. I'm making new friends. People are recognizing me on the street. And it was like this, like, really wonderful journey. And it sort of became, you know, like the main sort of creative force in my life. 
until I sort of realized that, you know, the lesson of stand-up comedy is not you should do stand-up comedy. The message of stand-up comedy, the lesson of stand-up comedy is you have the ability to do anything. Like, you have the ability to to break barriers, to blaze trails. You have the ability to do whatever you want to. You just have to get over the fear of doing it. And I think being a comedian is really great because it um, almost makes you embar- uh, Im- impervious to embarrassment. Like, the number of times that I have just, like... <laughs> embarrassed myself so deeply on stage um, across the country. Like, I was out doing a festival in uh, Wichita, Kansas. Uh-huh. Uh, I did two shows, 15-minute sets, both nights, and I bombed for both of them. What does that look like? What does it look like when Charlotte McCorn bombs on stage? Oh, it's usually the audience mm, very silently judging me. Um, I've definitely seen <laughs> a lot... Not laughing? Not laughing. A lot of crossed arms. Uh, a mm-hmm. lot of... I think sometimes people aren't always expecting incentive comedy... I mean, especially in places like Missoula, places like Wichita, Kansas. Wichita, like, Kansas. Like, yeah. oh shoot, here's a trans woman who's on stage, and okay. and I think that sometimes we'll throw. Yeah, that's that's all I'll blame it on. I'll just blame it on that on okay. other people's bigotry, not my own <laughs> lack of skill in stand-up <laughs> comedy. Yeah, but uh, it happens. It happens to everyone. You know, comedy is a lot like surfing, and an audience is like a wave. Like you can catch the good ones. Anyone can catch a good wave, but the bad ones, you have to learn the skills, have to learn the balance, and have to just accept that. No matter how hard I try, I might be wiping out, and that's just part of the part of the part of the game. And what part of your personality? I suppose I could broaden it to a comedian's personality, but I'm going to ask you specifically. You're sitting in front of me. Mm-hmm. What about your personality, or what of your personality, just allows you to keep barreling through? That not everyone can go up on stage, bomb, and then continue continue to do it again and again. So what is it that that keeps you going in those moments? I think it eventually sort of becomes the idea that this is the process. Like if I wanted to want to play the piano, I would sound bad at it at first. Even if I could like play a few chords, if I want to do something else, I might mess up. No one's born knowing how to paint a picture, no one's born knowing how to play the piano, no one's born knowing to, you know, carve out of stone. And stand-up comedy is this art form that we only teach in bars. Like you can't go to school for it, you can't you know, you can maybe take like a workshop or a class on it, but it is largely a self-taught system. And part of it was, you know, I felt I felt like I had something to prove. I hmm. felt like I was trying to prove that I was worthwhile. And I think a lot of the the you know getting up and doing it again. The best advice um, comes from um, dear friend and fantastic writer um, Sarah Aswell. Oh yes. And she told me that you can only feel bad about a set for twice as long as the set was timed. So if you did a 15-minute set, you can be upset for 30 minutes. And then you just have to let it go behind you. I feel like uh, people say that about breakups. You can only grieve a breakup twice as long as that that relationship lasted. Oh, that sounds miserable. Like there are people <laughs> out there who are like staring down the barrel like 20 years with someone. They're like, no, I don't have 40 years to get over this. Okay, maybe it's half as long, but still, that's still a 10-year grieving period. I don't understand people that get over relationships. I'm still mad all these years later at every single one of my exes. Um, just kidding. Like just to... <laughs> kidding. That sounded that sounded scary. I'd like to believe that that's um, an empathy. That 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 is part of your uh, empathy machine. I just made that phrase up, but like you know that you're an empathetic person and that you are grieving the loss of those relationships. I think so. I think that's a, that's a good point. Yeah. 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 So, Charlotte, do you? Um, what's my question? Do you consider yourself, or, or maybe do you consider? comedy and maybe specifically stand-up comedy being an end goal here? Is that the end point or, or where are you in that, in that arc of your life? So I was uh, at a point where I was touring nationally and uh, I was hitting, you know, 
a lot of rooms where I was filling the glass ceiling a little bit. Like I was doing shows for HBO in Boston and I was doing shows for like The Onion. And, wow. And uh, there were, you know, I, and I knew that there were like bookers in the crowd, like the booker for Conan O'Brien was there. There were some SNL producers in the crowd. So like opportunity awaits. Yes. They weren't there to see me. They were there to see, but I thought like if I'm funny enough, if I'm great enough, like I can get there. Yeah. But then as I got to this you know, part of my life where I realized that traveling and touring would be much more difficult for me, like post hopping the gender fence, mm-hmm. I decided like, all right, I'm going to do one more year of touring. And if I don't get on TV at that point, I'll figure something else out. But okay. that year was tw- like March 2020. I was supposed to leave on a nationwide tour. And so that didn't happen. And so I had that time where I couldn't do comedy. And I just realized that, you know, it's not the end goal. It's just a tool. And it's like a, it's an arrow in my quiver that I can pull out and help me do other things, which is what me lead on, um, has led me to go on to do stage magic. Um, I've, do you mean literal stage magic? Literal stage magic. Uh, tell me about that. I'm sorry. I can't quite like edge away from that just yet. No, uh, I have always been fascinated by magic. I love fooling people. Um, it's always been like one of my my great pleasures is just fooling people. And I think stage magic was something that I was interested in as a kid because like, okay, this will give me like, I'll feel like strong. I feel like I can get one over on people who are like, I feel looking down at me. Hmm. And then like a lot of those skills translated very well into comedy. Like it's about the reveal. It's about like the flourishes. It's about like taking the audience on a ride. It's about like, you know, stagecraft. And so I've, I've done that. Um, that also led me to uh, producing uh, drag shows. Um, and specifically drag hybrid pro wrestling shows. I'm so glad you mentioned wrestling because I want to go back to wrestling. You mentioned wrestling um, a few minutes ago. Um, in, a, in a previous conversation that you and I had, Charlotte, you told me that gender itself is like pro wrestling. It's not fake. It's choreographed. So I want you to dive a little bit into what you said to me, that quote that I just quoted back to you. Um, but you you mentioned this hybrid, and it feels like one in the same conversation here, drag and and wrestling, gender. Talk about, I don't know, try to, to fit those pieces together for our listeners. So if we look at the idea that, that gender is performative, it is this idea that a lot of things that we associate with gender are things that do not come like biological to us. They come from society, the way that we dress, the things that are expected of us. Um, but it doesn't make them fake. It doesn't make it like a fake thing. It's a real thing that exists. Same thing with pro wrestling. It is not fake. Like it is choreographed. It knows what it is and its actions and its its story that it tells, much like gender, are part of a larger conversation we as a society um, are having. And I think like drag and pro wrestling, just I've always felt that like drag needed like 10% more pro wrestling and then pro wrestling needed like 25% more drag because they're the same they're the same thing the same basic idea and then being able to just like put them together and, and slam them together literally sometimes it creates you know this really incredible almost it's like a live action The Muppet Show is what we're producing <laughs> like it's a show about us putting on a show there's all these different acts all these different characters who knows what will happen you know I'll get choke slammed through a table someone will get hit with a chair Someone will snatch a wig, you know. Let's let's talk a little bit about the pieces of that. You know, you're saying that drag and wrestling are the same, but let's break it down for our listeners, right? You have uh, wrestlers. Yes. Tell tell me what's fake about. I I'm laughing at I'm laughing I'm laughing at at myself. I'm out of here. Um, What's fake about pro wrestling? So. Pro wrestling, as we know today, started in this idea in the 1920s where wrestling as an exhibition sport was failing because boxing, more dynamic, but wrestling, two guys on a mat, you can't really see it very well, and they're just exchanging holds. Okay. So this group of people said, what if we know what the endings are 
And because our guys can all do these moves, what if we make the moves look even better by having them sell, which is like to create the the physical response to these things happening. What do you mean by that? Will you... So for example, if someone has me in a hammer lock, mm-hmm. I'm not going to be like, oh, whatever. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to sell. I'm going to like open my, I'm going to gnash around. I'm going to, to spit. I'm going to swear. I'm You're going to perform a little I'm going to perform mm-hmm. to help that look bigger. Okay. And so then in the 1950s, um, people like uh, gorgeous George Wagner created these characters. Like, yes, I'm doing this, this wrestling. I know what it end is, but I've created a character. And this first character was... A very like he was coded as a a gay man as okay. a villain like he was like hey look at me everyone I'm a fancy man with perfume and a nice hair don't you hate me and people did but wow. and he actually wanted to inspire uh, Muhammad Ali because the idea was if people don't like what you're saying they will pay good money to watch someone shut your mouth okay and yeah. that sort of built into the modern idea of wrestling that we know so it's not just that we're creating like these fake you know re- it's a story that we're using this choreographed. Um, performance to tell. I want to talk a lot more about wrestling, but I do want to bring in our listeners into this conversation. We are in the midst of our fall fundraiser here at Montana Public Radio. You are listening to a live episode of The Right Question. I'm Lauren Korn. I am sitting in Studio A here at KUFM Studios with Charlotte McCorn. Hi, Charlotte. Hello. So glad to be here. And Michael Marsalek is sitting across the glass from us. Hi, Michael. Hello. And I've got a very happy update for us. Oh, yes. MTPR.org 406-243-6400. We now need 11 more pledges. Great. And we have a $5,000 bonus. So thank you for the calls in that last, uh, last little period there. 11 more to go, and we get a $5,000 bonus. Call now, 406-243-6400, or go online. Lots of folks going online. It's mtpr.org, 406-243-6400, or mtpr.org. <laughs> Should we do a couple celebrations? All right. Here's the celebration Let me get the clowns. One. Clowns, get One, in here. Clowns. 177. 177,000. And $178,000. Don't delay. Call now. Get us closer and closer. We'll be going back to this riveting conversation here in just a moment, (laughs) taking just a moment to bring you in, listeners, wherever you are. The Right Question is on Montana Public Radio every Thursday night at this time and also on stations around the country. We are. We are syndicated um, in Spokane, Washington. Um, We're uh, in Bellingham, Washington, in Colorado, in California, the Four Corners area. We've got listeners over in Tennessee, Virginia, uh, occasionally New York. Uh, And yeah, we we have episodes cherry picked uh, from all over the country. And that's uh, one of Yellowstone Public Radio. Oh, and Yellowstone Public Radio. That's too. shout out to our other uh, public radio here in the state. Um, We are I don't know if our listeners knew this or Yellowstone Public Radio listeners know this, but we are um, a a week behind. So the episodes that you hear on Montana Public Radio, they're actually played the following week on Yellowstone Public Radio. So I don't know, maybe maybe people have already pieced that together, but that's that is the case. Um, And, you know, I want to mention that this season of The Right Question Um, We're supported always, or usually I should say, by Humanities Montana, the Greater Montana Foundation. But this season specifically, we're trying a little experiment. We are a... um Supported by a cooperative, we're calling it, of independent bookstores around the state. I mentioned that at the top. Fact and Fiction here in Missoula, Chapter One Bookstore in Hamilton, Elk River Books in Livingston, and Montana Book Company in Helena. We, we, yeah, it's a, it's a it's, great bookstore in Helena. Who's who? Yeah, um, we we really wanted to try to. Uh, 
make the right question a collaborative effort um, between the readers and the booksellers and the listeners here in the state. Um, and that's something that I really, really strive for, listeners. I would love to hear from you tonight. 406-243-6400 is the number to call. Talk to one of our volunteers. Tell me through them what you really love about The Right Question. If you have any book recommendations, do you know of an author who's publishing a book soon? I would love to hear from you tonight. You can always go to mtpr.org to listen to past episodes. Tonight, I would encourage you to donate to us right now. We're really looking. We have, what, 11, nine, you said? Now nine more. Nine, Ooh, nine more left. pledges. That's so little. I know that there are nine of you out there listening <laughs> to us right now. Maybe you're a fan of comedy. Maybe you are a fan of comic books. Maybe you are a fan of pro wrestling. Maybe you love Montana's drag scene any of these things, we want to hear from you tonight, 406-243-6400, mtpr.org. Nine more, and it's a $5,000 bonus. You're listening to a live The Right Question on Montana Public Radio. We've been talking, or I, I will, I'll reintroduce you, Charlotte. I'm talking to Charlotte McCorn, who is a writer and a comedian here in Missoula, um, mercurial icon and the voice of my, your, our generation, Charlotte McCorn. We've been talking about um, the relationship between, but also the combination of pro wrestling and drag. Yes. Yeah. So where do we want to go from here? Because I, I love this idea. Um, you were talking a bit about the, the history of wrestling and how it came. It went from something that was like actually failing in the public eye. No one really cared about it. No one was going to these matches. Um, and then they started being performative. There were mm -hmm. the outcomes were um, predetermined, predetermined um, and, and characters became involved and villains. There was that that is called something. It's called a heel. It's the villain, yeah. The villain is a heel, and who is the winner always? Uh, not well, always. The face. The face. The face and the heel. Okay, and the elaborate a little bit. So, uh, face short for baby face, and it's you know usually the idea of like, well, gosh, shucks, I'm going to use the power of America to defeat you because you're a bad person. I don't cheat, I don't steal, but uh, I need to beat you up because you're a bad person. And the heel is you know trying to make the audience hate them. So in in the uh, the drag wrestling, the Montana drag wrestling that I do, um, I play the main heel. Mm -hmm. Of the, so you're the villain. I am the villain. And no one loves. What's your drag name? Uh, her name is Chastity Wilkes. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, and she is trying to. Let me phrase this delicately. She's trying to make sure that drag shows never happen in Montana again. Okay, so you're countering the whole system or community that you yourself ha are a part of in in performance. In performance, yes. I am. I'm coming in and calling everyone perverts. And okay. <laughs> I'm telling them that they are corrupting uh, the youth of Missoula. Okay. And I say a lot of horrible, terrible things. And then I, you know, the, the face, you know, is going to try to stop me. So usually that is um, uh, the millennial of mayhem, Margaret Murder. <laughs> Shout out to Margaret Murder. Uh, and, you know, who is a rough and tumble, you know, brawler, uh, who is the hero of the people. You know, she's a millennial. She doesn't have health insurance. <laughs> she drives a broken down Subaru, you know, and she will do whatever it takes to make sure that everyone has freedom of expression. So is, is, is that idea of the heel and the face, maybe not under those terms, but that, that idea is actually pretty built into drag generally too, right? There are these maybe not villain hero or heroine ideas, but there are 
competitions and certain drag performers that kind of like butt heads, right? And that's why we we saw, thought this would be such an easy mix of the two genres together. Yeah. Because I think right now, you know, with drag, it is the big characters, and you know, a lot of you know the the large cultural acceptance of drag comes from like RuPaul's Drag Race or, right. or Dragula, and it's yeah. the characters and the feuds, and just taking that idea and transplanting them into you know, the world of Montana drag. And so we have, we have performers who are, who are baby faces, uh, like, uh, Jackie Rosebush, who's a real hero who's currently bicycling across Latin America to raise awareness for endangered animals. They're incredible. Left field, but I love it. They're, yes, they're a face. Um, and then there's you know, faces like Margaret Murder and, uh, right now, um, the trendsetter Iris Von Moxley, <laughs> uh, who, two of them are the current reigning Mon- uh, Montana drag tag team champions. And so taking this idea to like drag shows, traditional drag shows, a lot of lip syncing, you know, there's a host might say something, mm-hmm. but to create that drama, you know, right. when okay. that's a good way to put it to create jo- drama. So like when Margaret Murder and Iris Von Moxley were feuding, um, in anticipation of when they eventually won the tag team titles together, you know, Iris came in and said like, you're a fake, like you, you don't deserve to be here. Your makeup is bad. Your wig is crunchy. You aren't wearing heels. You don't deserve to be our champion. And, and Margaret being like, I don't care what I do. Drag is not about wearing certain clothes. It's not about being good at this. It's about doing what I'm doing right now. And that's generally like suplexing me into a table. (laughs) Okay. So, so pro wrestling, I want to talk about this term um, that I came across a few years ago and it's kayfabe. Kayfabe. Yes. Tell tell listeners about kayfabe and and what that means for the pro wrestling. So kayfabe is the sort of like heightened reality on top of the show. So, for example, in okay, in the real world, there's a guy named Mark Calloway who's a wrestler. Okay. But in kayfabe, he's the undertaker. He's an undead wizard who has magic powers and sometimes <laughs> a motorcycle. Okay. Or sometimes you'll see like, oh, in, in kayfabe, these two people are bitter rivals, but they're really good friends in real life. Or in kayfabe, Edge and Christian are brothers, but they're really just good friends. And so it's a way to sort of like put the fictional world on top of the real world. And I'm going to bring this, I mean, you just mentioned, fic- you just mentioned fictional, um, but I'm going to bring this back to writing in that kayfabe, at least to me, sounds a bit like a suspension of disbelief. That's exactly what it is. Right. Because I think right now you, everyone knows that wrestling's choreographed. I don't think there's anyone out there that's like, yeah, this is this is all real. Oh, man, I hope we didn't just ruin something for some listener out there. I think we made it more magical <laughs> for more people. Um, and it was the idea that... Oh, I forgot what I was going to say with that. I lost my train of thought. Oh, sorry. Well, what was the question? What's um, the right question? <laughs> the right question. I don't know if it was the right question. Oh, I was just talking about this idea that it sounds very much oh, like the suspension, suspension of, of disbelief. disbelief. That's yeah. right. And it's the idea that because we as the audience know that it's you know choreographed, we can suspend our disbelief even further. And we can allow the performers to do things like there's a great wrestler named uh, Dan Housen right now. And he's like a tiny little like very nice, very evil goblin. <laughs> and we know he's not a real goblin that steals people's teeth, but that's who he is in kayfabe and we accept it. Or um, freshly squeezed Orange Cassidy, the master of sloth style, he's really lazy. Like his <laughs> kicks, he just kind of taps people. He wears sunglasses in the ring. He doesn't want to take them off. And we suspend our disbelief because we know it's a performance, but by doing that, it allows us to have a greater like emotional reaction because you know they're telling a story with an ending and hopefully creating that, that strong ending for it. I'm... I'm making, maybe making a presumption, but maybe I shouldn't. 
it seems to me like you have you were or you have been interesting in interested in wrestling far before your drag since junior life. high. I got into it in the, which was also like the height of wrestling was in the late nineties called the Attitude Era. The Attitude Era, which more people were watching wrestling than than ever. Like ten million people every week were tuning in to WWE Raw is War. Wow, yeah, uh, the biggest the business has ever ever been. Um, not the best, like in matter of like story or wrestling or not horrible uh, things that have not aged well, but sure. people got their eyes on it. And I was you know, one of those kids who was like, oh yeah, I, I, I love, I love whatever this is. Can you point or can you pinpoint, um, you know, thinking, you know, in hindsight, what really drew you to wrestling at that point? Or was it always this idea of identity for you? It was, I think partially um, there was a girl whose locker was right next to mine and she loved the heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels. She loved Shawn Michaels so much. And I liked this girl. I had a little yeah. bit of a crush on her. Yeah. I'm like, well, I'm going to start watching this show. And so maybe uh, maybe this girl and I can, whatever it is you think you can do when you're <laughs> like a, a closeted trans like middle schooler. But, right. um, and, and that really kind of kicked it off. She ended up moving at the end of that semester. And so I was just sort of stuck there still, still watching wrestling. And I still have, I've, you know, kind of ebb and flow, but I've always kept at least a toe in it. And um, n- now I'm actively participating in like ladder matches and things. Yeah. So. And you have a match or you are producing um, a certain event regarding this drag and pro wrestling idea, right? That's right. Coming up uh, December 18th, Montana Drag Wrestling presents White Elephant at oh. the Roxy Theater. Uh, we will have the tag team titles defended. It's going to be the Millennial of Mayhem, Margaret Murder, and the trendsetter Iris von Moxley versus Bounce House. Versus bounces. We'll get back. We'll get back to that. I do want to say, uh, for our listeners' sake, you are listening to a live pledge edition of the Right Question. I'm Lauren Korn. I'm sitting in the studio here with Charlotte McCorn and Michael Marsalik. We are in the midst of our fall fundraiser. Uh, we are what day four? This is Thursday. This is day four. That's right. We're only going till nine a.m. tomorrow. We're in our final evening of the fall on-air portion of our uh, fall campaign. Six more pledges, and we get a five thousand dollar bonus. Six more Six now. Six more. 406. We, can do this. Four, yeah. we better get the phone numbers out. I, I know you're out there. Do it. Do <laughs> it, you coward. Do it. 406 243 6400. 406 243 6400. MTPR.org. We, I, I, I just repeated this. Uh, we are in the midst of our fall fundraiser. This is a live episode of The Right Question. I will repeat this until I'm blue in the face. The Right Question, Montana Public Radio, we are yeah. we are supported by listeners. I forget, Michael, the, the percentage. It's like 75% of our uh, income. Yeah, of the uh, sponsorship for the station, 75% of the income comes directly from listeners and sponsors. Yes, absolutely. And we and we we just ask you, we, we humbly get on the mics twice a year and ask you to support the programming here at Montana Public Public radio, whether that's uh, that what Michael Marsalek here across the glass calls our Discovery Hour every 7 p.m. every day, Monday through Friday, whether that's me, that's John Floridas doing um, Musician Spotlight, you've got the Moth Radio Hour, you've got Ted, Ted Radio you've Hour, got Ted, Hidden Brain, and Hidden Brain on Fridays. Yep. Um, these these shows are spotlighting not only Discovery, but they're spotlighting they're spotlighting storytelling, and that is really when you think about public radio broadly, that is what we are doing across our programming, whether we're telling those stories in music, whether we're telling the news, which are, uh, you know, the news is personal stories. It's personal stories contextualized. Um, Now is the time to show your support for storytelling. If you are 
a storyteller, you love stories, and I know you are because you're tuned in right now, call 406-243-6400-mtpr.org. Now, five more pledges. Hey. Okay. Five I got I got more. one you listener got, got out the there. You got the one with that one. We That's can, good. And we can celebrate. And we have a celebration Two coming celebrations up. for, oh. yeah, coming up we, here. Open we, up the clown door. We didn't even know this conversation was going to be as celebratory as it, was, as it, as it has been. Here's $179,000. And one hundred and eighty thousand dollars, and five more pledges to go, and a five thousand dollar bonus. Wherever you are out there in listener land, please call right now four zero six two four three six four hundred. Help us secure this five thousand dollar bonus online. Lots of people going online at mtpr.org. We're uh, wrapping up a special The Right Question here this evening. So glad to have you listening wherever you are. Uh, new Angle will be coming up next. 406-243-6400-MTPR.org. Michael, maybe you can tell me um, how much time we actually have left. I want to... Prior- four minutes? Four minutes. Okay. Yeah, you know... Charlotte, I, we could very easily continue to talk about wrestling, and maybe you and I are going to just talk about wrestling when maybe we get, we off, maybe we get off the mics. Um, but there's a question that I ask every... There's actually two questions that I ask all of the guests that come into the studio or Zoom in with me. And one is, I want to give space for something that we haven't yet talked about. When we haven't talked about a lot, there is so much more to your creative life than than what we've talked about here. But I do know that you have a special relationship with your grandfather, or you had a special relationship with your grandfather, and I really want to ask you about your grandfather. Oh, absolutely. Um, I never actually met him. This is, um, I think, part of my origin story. So my mother, who I assume is listening in Deer Lodge, hey, Mom. Hi, Mom. She uh, did not know her father growing up. And it wasn't until we took a series of DNA tests and found out that her father is the country music singer Harold Crosby, what? who has performed across the country oh. and wow. across, across the world and would set up like little franchises like this. And my mother is one of many half children um, or children that he, he fathered around the world. Um, and you call it a franchise? Yeah, that's, that's what I call it. What, okay. do, what do you call it? I don't know what I'd call it. Um, but we discovered this um, during 2020. I did the research. I, I did it. And it was very wild to hear like my grandfather's voice for the first time in a, you know, in an album. Like, like here's his music playing on iTunes. Yeah. And it was very, I think, incredible for me as someone who comes from a family with not a lot of performance in it. Not a lot of you know, people that seek out the sta- stage. Um, my brother's a UFO hunter. That's kind of I'm close. I'm so glad you mentioned that. I love it. And yeah, my grandfather, it was one of those things where I had the moment of like, you know, I've I've toured the country. Yeah. You know, I've done all these things. And I did not know who, you know, where that came from in my life, but seeing like I had this connection to my grandfather was, it was really interesting. Did uh, that affirm the things that you have chosen to spend your time doing, the way that you've spent your life on stage in the way that you have? I think looking at my brother's um, daughter, my niece, Reese, mm-hmm. and she wants to be a singer and she wants to be a performer. And it suddenly, you know, it wasn't just like my story. It was like this generational thing, but I, I saw myself in a part of and seeing that, you know, whoever comes next in my family or whoever else is inspired by me, I'm you know, just happy to be part of this this larger story of creativity and showing people that you can do whatever you want with your life. Uh, there, there are no boundaries. There, there are no, there's nothing there. 
I love that so much. And I, I you know, as, as much as I, I think that would be like the most beautiful note to end on, I do want to end on horror. Oh, yes. Because and, and we have we have only a minute, Charlotte, but um, you've mentioned goblins and vampires and, you know, uh, The Shining. There, there are so many mentions of horror in this conversation. What's your relationship to horror and, and where, where does that impulse, whether to um, enact it or to write about it, come from? Uh, I've always been a fan of horror. I think part of that is I had a complicated childhood. Yeah. And I think that fear was sometimes a very common thing for me growing up. And part of me feels at home when I'm afraid. And horror helps me provide that. It helps me, like, you know, have have a little um, vent to, like, get those feelings out of me. And I think it's an incredible genre. It's the only genre named after the feeling it tries to invoke in you. I love that. And it can do so many wonderful things. Um, and yeah, this is my favorite time of the year. Uh, I, I was just going to say, as we head into Halloween, maybe that is the best note to end on. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It'd be a grave mistake not to give to Montana <laughs> Public Radio. Ooh. I'm so glad you did that. Give um, money to Montana Public Radio or a werewolf will burn your house down. <laughs> we're, we're not threatening anyone on air uh, tonight, but we do want to remind Two you. Two more. Two more, two, two more pledges. Two more pledges. I was like, two more minutes. I was Those like, people <laughs> know what werewolves can Thank do to their Thank you houses. so much, Montana. You are coming through. Two more pledges until we meet this challenge and we get a $5,000 bonus. I just, I, I'm hearing the the uh, Right Question theme song and I just want to give a special shout out to Humanities Montana, the Greater Montana Foundation, and this cooperative of independent bookstores around the state, Fact and Fiction, Chapter One, Elk River, and Montana Book Company. And you, listeners, I want to thank you from the bottom of my bookcase. One or, more. Yes. One, One more. more. Oh, my hey, goodness. Oh, my gosh. Uh, we, do it now. Quick. We, we, Give the money now. Yes, do it now. We We're still on the air. Give us the money now. <laughs> now. Do it. Get your credit card. Get your parents' credit card. Do it right now. <laughs> we absolutely could not do this without you. And I thank you so much for listening and engaging in uh, the, the literature and the episodes that I produce every week. 406-243-6400 mtpr.org is the it website. Looks like we got a little celebrating to do. I think you we guys, have a celebration. You guys ready to make some noise in there? We just met our challenge, and we now have that $5,000 bonus coming your way. Thank you, Montana. You're welcome, Montana Public Radio. (laughs) Let's do some serious celebrating. That was for $181,000, and now we'll add more. Here's $182,000. One eighty six, hundred and eighty seven, and all the five thousand is in, and it's one hundred and eighty eight thousand dollars celebration. Thank you so much. You were right to have me on the show. You were right to have me on the show. Thank you so much, Charlotte. You're welcome. You're welcome, everyone. (laughs) I I mean, it was such a privilege. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm gonna hang out with those clowns now. Yeah. The Right Question is sponsored by Chapter One Bookstore in Hamilton, Fact and Fiction in Missoula, Elk River Books in Livingston, and Montana Book Company in Helena. Four independent bookstores encouraging a lifetime of learning through storytelling and conversation.